0: With over one billion, with a B, in claims paid, Trupanion has you covered, whether you're a dedicated breeder, a loving owner, or both. Trupanion is also the first pet insurance provider to offer a special breeding rider that you can add to your coverage. That way, you know your dogs are covered from common health concerns associated with breeding and whelping, like emergency C-sections, for example. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at PureDogTalk.com. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am honored to be joined today by Nanette Newberry. She is an Australian Shepherd breeder under the Stone Pine Banner. She's an American Kennel Club judge. She's been judges education coordinator for the Australian Shepherd organizations and brings a lot of knowledge about this particular breed. And so we're going to talk about Australian Shepherds and what they're like to live with and what their history and all of the great things about Aussies. And we're going to touch on miniature American Shepherds and sort of where that connection lies. So... Welcome, Nanette. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Laura, the honor's all mine. Thank you for having me. Who wouldn't want to talk about their favorite breed? Right?
0: I figure I have the best job in the world. I get to talk to everybody about their passion. So that's fabulous. Absolutely. So talk to us about Australian Shepherds. They're certainly a very popular breed. And talk to us about the history of how they came to be a breed with the American Kennel Club?
1: Sure. We are having an explosion in popularity, either due to COVID or the unique characteristics of the breed. So I think it is important that people understand the good news and bad news about the breed. When I have people call me for puppies, I don't extol the breed qualities. I warn them, the first 18 months are hell. It's <laughs> <is> a zit faced <laughs> teenage stage, and it requires a lot of dedication.
0: I tell people that wire hares don't turn into dogs until they're two years old and they don't turn into good dogs until they're five. So
1: <laughs> that's bingo, bingo. I love it. It might be true of a lot of dog breeds. We're kind of a unique breed in that we were developed solely in the United States, the Western United States, pretty typical of most working ranch dogs, some of which we have today that remain unregistered. These dogs were bred to do a job, not to a breed standard. So for instance, I was raised on a cattle ranch and you bred Crusetta ranch bitch A to Asher dog B because dog B was a better header and the bitch was better this. There was very little record keeping kept, but one of the unique characteristics that differentiates the Aussie from other herding breeds is their loyalty, their biddability and trainability, and their intelligence. And Basically, differing from the Border Collie, and this is not to denigrate a Border Collie, but to contrast and compare, we have an off switch, meaning the dog could mm. come in off the ranch and be part of the family. They could be mm-hmm. a guardian for kids, guns in your truck, saddles in the back of the carriage, whatever, and we're fun. They have a wicked fun sense of humor, like many dogs do. So that the charm of the breed beyond ranching kind of appealed to a lot of people, There was a movement by our original parent club. The Australian Shepherd Club of America was formed in the, I want to say, late 60s. Their sole purpose was to bring AKC recognition to the Australian Shepherd. And, you know, we're a new breed. We're basically a compilation of mutts. And our first breed standard wasn't approved until, I believe, 1975. And that wasn't AKC. Right. So our AKC breed standard wasn't approved in that club until the early 90s. So we've only been in AKC, I believe, 25 years. So in terms of dogdom, we're relatively new on the scale. And this is a dog that, again, because of the popularity with the ranchers outside of working, has gained the attention for pets and companion animals. It's kind of interesting. You're taking a working ranch dog, and I believe that lifestyle is diminishing. I don't believe that the need for working ranch dogs is as great as it used to be. There are people that are having a renaissance and going back to small ranching, and they do use their dogs. But quite frankly, everybody I know on a ranch these days, they use ATVs to work their stock or other means, and horses and dogs are a luxury item.
0: Right.
1: I see that lifestyle diminishing. In order for our breed to survive, they're going to have to make the transition to companion animal. I don't believe it's an easy one for this breed. This is a very active dog, and it's not a dog for first-time dog owners. And that's what I was going to
0: ask, Nanette. I like to talk to people in their breeds who makes, and you've just described it, who makes a great Australian Shepherd owner and who makes a, maybe you should rethink it owner.
1: (laughs) Maybe you should rethink it owner. If you don't like dog hair, if you don't like a dog living in your house, if you don't like a dog that wants to sit with you in your lap, that's a little large. And if you're not smarter than your dog.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Outsmarting the dog can be a problem. I see that. And it's not a disrespect to anyone who owns or doesn't own the dog. It's that these dogs think, I've been around enough of them. You can watch the wheels turn and you have to want to be able to stay ahead of them.
1: Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. When I turn somebody down for a dog, it's not because they're not good people. It's not because their intentions are right. It's not because it may or may not work. And I get people all the time, we're a very active family, so we want an active dog. The kids go to soccer, they go to baseball, they have dance lessons, they have music lessons. And I said, well, how many of those activities can you do with the dog? And there's dead right. silence. <laughs> you right. know? So their definition of active is not, hear my words, walking an Australian Shepherd around your neighborhood twice a day is not exercise for an Australian Shepherd.
0: Right. But I think you're making a super great point, Nanette. And that is that these breeds, they're not just cute. It's not just that, oh, hey, look, it has one blue eye and it comes in this fabulous array of colors, right? The Australian Shepherd was designed to do a job. And even though it's not asked to do that job, it still has the instincts and the developed over generations drive to hurt things into a corner like your children. <laughs> <laughs> or your neighbor children. <laughs> yes. So talk to us about how important that is for new owners in this breed to understand.
1: Well, you know, herding instinct is kind of fleeting. I can say for my lines, my mentor figured out 40 or 50 years ago that if he wanted to achieve his personal goals within the breed, he had to breed a number of dogs, which meaning he had to have clientele to buy his extra dogs. And when he first got into it, I got to tell you, when I was in college, these were nasty dogs. The first Australian Shepherd I ever met at Cal Poly came out of the back of some cowboy's truck and nearly ripped my face off. Oh my gosh. And yet then my next thought as I look at this blue Merle, what the heck is that? And those weird markings. And yeah, I was attracted to him for the same reason, but our original dogs, did not have good temperaments for companion animals. They had good temperaments for what the cowboys wanted them to do. So my mentor focused on temperament originally, and I'm blessed to have his line. So I have dogs with incredible temperament. Are they able to work stock? Not every dog. I mean, even border collie litters, kelpie litters, whatever breed you're looking at, not every puppy in the litter is born with herding instinct. Right. Even people that breed working stock dogs or working Australian shepherds, you cannot guarantee that every puppy in that litter is going to have working instinct. So it's kind of fleeting. And there are people that are dedicated to breeding and preserving that in our breed. This is a pretty controversial topic. We're talking about now, you know, do you preserve the original function of the breed or mm-hmm. do you help your breed transition to a companion animal? So it has a future that is preserved. I always use the example of the mastiff. Mm-hmm. I even wrote an article called no more castles. What do you do with a breed when its original function is gone. The mastiff was bred to guard castles. Do we annihilate the breed and not breed it anymore because we don't have any more castles for it to guard? Right. Or do we preserve the rest of the breed? It's still physically able and imposing enough to guard a castle, but it's transitioned to a companion animal. And the Australian Shepherd is not the only breed that's gonna have to make this transition. I think we're doing a good job of it. I will not sell an Aussie into an apartment or condominium in downtown San Francisco. I don't care how great an owner. Now, are there exceptions to everything I'm saying today? Absolutely. But you have to love obedience training if you want an Australian shepherd. Yes. I would say that,
0: and tell me if I'm wrong, Nanette, but I would say really important early education for an Australian shepherd is going to be basic obedience. Yes?
1: The first thing I recommend for my pet people is just let the dog be a pet puppy. I don't try to teach an eight-week-old puppy to sit. You can. Their brains are mush. I mean, I hate to say this. People are going to gasp. Some of my puppies are not leash trained until after they're done teething. Now, does that mean they don't come? Does that mean they don't follow me? That doesn't, Does that mean they don't have basic commands? Absolutely not. But the first time they have a leash on them sometimes is six months of age. Mm-hmm. Is it a problem? No, because I've already developed the bond with them. So I let them be puppies as long as possible. I don't recommend obedience training before six months of age on most dogs because their brains are mush. And what's interesting about the Aussie, and this is why you have to find a great trainer, they don't do well with repetition. Laura, you know from all the other breeds you work with, what the Aussie does when you start repeating... First of all, the neatest thing about you as an Aussie earner, when you go to obedience class, you're going to look like a rock star. Your dog is going to make you look like the best darn obedience instructor or trainer or owner that's ever walked the face of the earth. So that's a fun reward that you get. You're going to look like you've got it going on. The other neat thing is you don't have to practice 10 or 15 minutes a day in between your weekly classes. The more the dog does something well, and you keep asking them to repeat it, then they come up with alternate behaviors because they think they're doing something wrong. Right. That's the smart thing you're talking about, watching their brains work. Right. Their willingness to please is, okay, I did it right. I got a treat, or I got an attaboy. Why is she having me do it again? Did I not do it right? Do I need to like lift my paw when I'm doing it? Does she want me to bark while I'm doing it? And you can actually, like you said, watch the little eyeballs and the thought process go on.
0: (laughs) It's terrifying. As I said, I do not own an Australian Shepherd. God love them. I wouldn't, but I have many, 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 many friends who do, and I love to watch their little brains work because you can literally see the wheels turn.
1: Absolutely, and you know they've done those fun studies. These scientists at universities, you know, what's the smartest dog? And one of the interesting studies was: Are the dogs intuitive? Right. And one of the tests was. Will a dog, if it's raining, go under an umbrella? That's what they tested, and the Australian Shepherd scored very low. And yet, most of us that own the breed or have been around a long time declare that they are incredibly intuitive. But the other thing that this scientist didn't take into account: no self-respecting Australian Shepherd is going to go under an umbrella to get out of the rain. <laughs> you know. So, for crying sake, you can build as many shelters as you want outside or dog houses. When it rains, they stay outside. They have a double coat. They're a hardy breed. And they sit out in the rain and the mud. They
0: think that's fun. Yes. And I think that's something for potential owners to sort of keep in mind, right? Like just because it's fluffy and pretty, and as I said, comes with different colors and different eyes and all of this, it's still at heart a farm
1: dog, a ranch dog. It wants to be outside doing stuff. They're a very hard playing breed. A lot of my pet people or people I've talked to say, my dogs are fighting and I'll have them videotape it. And I look at it and I go, they're actually playing.
0: Just playing. Mm -hmm.
1: But they do play rough. So with other breeds, you kind of have to be careful. They aren't mean; They're just a rough breed. And actually what's really interesting, they use their noses to butt dogs. You have to love obedience. You're not going to get by with one obedience class with this breed like you can with other breeds. I recommend for my owners a minimum of 18 months. That's one night a week at obedience class to keep their brains going because obedience is probably the most incredibly boring training for any dog, let alone an Australian Shepherd. I recommend trick training now and agility training classes. You don't ever have to compete in any of those two sports, but those are the only two trainings that I know that engage the mind body, especially agility training of an Australian Shepherd. And they have great puppy agility classes. You can learn clicker training and whatever. It's a breed that doesn't need treats, right? Aussies don't need treats to work. They work for you. That's one of the unique characteristics of the breed. So save your money on training treats and love the dog because they respond to it amazingly. Right. It's a dog that's incredibly nonverbal. If you want to become one with dog, you need to have an Australian shepherd and learn dog. So to give you an example of that, I was big on my herding lessons years ago and I had a great instructor. I picked him because he would go out to the trial arena or out in open range to work stock and you never heard his voice. He didn't do whistles or commands. He just would move his body or call the dog's name you know, once or twice. And these dogs work like crazy. And I go, you know, my voice is too loud and I yell enough as it is. I need somebody that doesn't yell when they're working their dogs. It was the best decision I ever made, but it got to one point. And I bought a Border Collie because I want to get better at my stock skills. And that was like going from a Volkswagen to a Ferrari. Right. (laughs) I was just going to say. I know. So I remember George Costa saying to me, Nanette, you're really telling this dog which way to go. This dog has been trained for 500 years to work sheep. And you're telling it to go left instead of right when she's telling you she needs to go right. And I kind of looked. And so he came out. He says, you talk too much. He put duct tape. (laughs) Duct tape on my mouth. I will tell you that's been known to happen in
0: pointing dog worlds too.
1: (laughs) I don't feel so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I compensated for the tape over my mouth with my hands flailing. So he came out five minutes later and he duct taped my two index fingers together. my My border collie has never worked better than that training session that I had where I couldn't speak or flail my arms. And if you want to have that kind of relationship with your dog, an Australian Shepherd is a great breed to have. They don't require a lot of correction. They know when you're upset. Consequently, they're a caregiving dog. If you're having a bad day and you come home, and that face comes and puts its head on your lap and stares at you, it's better than just about any feeling in the whole world. And I know many dogs do that, but they're incredibly intuitive and sensitive to emotions.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: If you've got a hyperkinetic neurotic family, you're going to have a hyperkinetic neurotic dog. Consequently, if you have a quiet laid back family, you may end up with a quiet laid back Aussie, as you said, when they're three or four. Mm -hmm. So they take on the tone and tenor of your family as well.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Discover your dog's genetic health, optimize your breeding decisions, and identify your puppy's genetic profiles before they go to their new homes. All of that with Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kits. As the highest rated dog DNA kit on the market, Embark has you covered with exclusive breeder tools. Embark offers the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding tests available, as well as OFA submission reports. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit... Visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, code PUREDOGTALK. Their world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. And so, Nanette, such a fabulous breed. It's a good size breed. Yeah. 40 pounds, 30 pounds. And from this, and correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is from the Australian Shepherd came the miniature American Shepherd, developed as a separate breed and recognized with the American Kennel Club in the last, what, like five years? Actually, 10 10, years? I
1: think 2012. Okay. Yeah, it's a great story. So every dog breed we have out there was created by somebody wanting to breed a better dog that did something better. Most of the dog breeds, the older ones that we're familiar with, were bred for a certain function. Mm -hmm. The miniature Australian Shepherd, as it was originally called, and they had their own breed club called that, was developed in the 1960s in Southern California. Actually, they were Aussie breeders that were breeding them, and the reason they were breeding them is their clients were in L.A. in apartments, and they wanted a smaller dog. Okay. If you're familiar with our breed standard, we don't have a size restriction because we're a relatively new breed. We haven't really set our size enough. So the geneticists that work with us in the Australian Shepherd Standard asked us to maintain a range. We need it for the bell curve to take effect for our breed. So we do have smaller versions of our breed. We do have larger versions of our breed. From a dog breeding standpoint, they probably should have come in as a variety of the Australian Shepherd.
0: Right. That's kind of what I was wanting to get to, Nanette, because from what you explained to me, basically the standards are not identical, but very, very similar. Correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if you're judging, like I have judges that come to me and say, you know, tell me about the Miniature American Shepherd. And I said, okay, here's what you need to know about the Miniature American Shepherd when you're judging. It's got to look like an Aussie, move like an Aussie and act like an Aussie. End of story. I'm going to make it really simple for you. There's some nuances in the standard, like the muzzle On the Aussie is equal to or less than the top skull. In the mini, it's equal to the top skull. Those are moss nixed when it comes to judging the dog. The hardest thing they're going to have to do to maintain is looking, acting, and moving like Aussies. And i got to be really frank with you. The mini people, I actually helped them develop their breed standard and their first judges education seminar. I am very supportive of them. I am not from the school where it has to be acrimonious at all. But I do think we made a mistake with them in not allowing them to be a variety. But part of that is AKC's fault because AKC said, if you want them as a variety, you have to give up your color classes. And we were from the old Aska days where we had open blue, merle, open black, right? Right, red tribe. Right. And nobody could envision a world with open age classes with no color. And a variety. Now, since I've judged for SCI in Europe and seen the open classes, I recognize the mistake we probably made. But that's just my feeling. It's really, really
0: interesting to me because I, before talking to you about this, was really unaware that they were just basically smaller Australian shepherds. I had no idea. I thought they were a whole other thing. So, miniature American shepherd and Australian shepherd, both American. Breeds. Mm -hmm. The US doesn't have all that many dog breeds. No, no. no. (laughs) But miniature American Shepherds and Australian Shepherds both are exactly developed in the United States, despite their name. So I think that that's really an interesting and important point to make, Nanette, that unlike, say, for example, standard dachshund and miniature dachshund or something like that, where it's a variety, the Australian Shepherd and the miniature American Shepherd are not allowed by American Kennel Club rules to crossbreed.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: I'm just wanting to make sure people understand that particular part. And so final piece on this, how are both of the breeds in terms of health, longevity? You know, is there anything people should be really paying attention to when they're talking to breeders about one or the other of these breeds? Yes, this is a whole
1: other topic for you. (laughs) <laughs> One of my focuses for the last 10 years has been the loss of longevity in our Australian Shepherds. Okay. When I first got into the breed, our breed lived to be 15 or 16, no problem. They're lucky if they make it to 9, 10, 11 nowadays. And so I've spent the last 10 years, having started in vet school, I have a pretty good science background, looking at what's causing the loss of longevity. Because we love these dogs so much, all of us with any breed, when mm-hmm. you lose them early, it's tough. Uh, early onset cancers are an issue with our breed, hemangiosarcomas. Probably the direct link to that is early spay and neuter. So I counsel new puppy owners to not spay or neuter their pet until 24 months of age. The other thing is we have most herding breeds are highly sensitive to toxins, such as heartworm medication, a flea and tick pesticides, pesticides on your lawn. And you know when you live in the city, you got to have that green lawn with every grass blade green and growing the right way, and that takes a lot of toxins that are sucked up through dogs' paws. We have the multi-drug resistant gene, which only measures proteins. But what we're finding is there's a whole host of other veterinary treatments, toxins, whatever that the dogs are exposed to that will also cause a result of a swelling in the central nervous system. An example of that would be Flagyl, which is commonly prescribed to puppies for diarrhea. It's metronidazole. Mm -hmm. Right on the warning of metronidazole, it's a known neurotoxin. When you get an Australian Shepherd or a mini American Shepherd, you need to be an advocate for this puppy's health. That means you need to be standing up to a vet that says it's perfectly okay to give this dog ivermectin when it's not. Well, right.
0: You know, Care Dog Talk, we did the, and I did an interview with the gal at WSU that
1: really narrowed that gene down. Yes, the MDR1 gene. Yeah, the other thing that's happening is the over-vaccination of our puppies. I follow Dr. Ronald Schultz's vaccine protocol and Jean Dodge bases her work on his work as well. Mm -hmm. And I actually only do core vaccines at 10, 14 and 18 weeks. That one at 18 weeks after maternal antibodies are sure to have dissipated is good for 15 years. And then I recommend titers every three to five years. Mm -hmm. And then we get into food. And I don't know how many segments you've done on food, but I definitely have found a difference in the longevity of my own dogs on a raw food diet.
0: Right, right. Okay, excellent. Well, Nanette, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your expertise and your history with these two breeds. I really, really appreciate it. And I know our listeners will as well.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And I, like everybody else, loves talking about our breed and both of these breeds are worthy of a discussion and worthy as pets and companion animals.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot, Nanette. You have a great day. You too, Laura. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual After Dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the Become a Patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab, too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Who knew? Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic... Are available at PureDogTalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to Laura at PureDogTalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk.